0: Good evening, and welcome to a special spooky Halloween edition of Goals Allowed. Obviously, on today they say trick or treat, but it's always a treat to be joined by Jules Singh and Danny Hodges. How are you Thank guys? You. I like that. I like that.
1: That's a good intro. That was a nice pun.
0: Thought about it about five seconds before we got on <laughs> it thought, I thought, could I formulate it in time? I think it came out all right. So this week we're going to start with uh, our question of the week, and it is: What is the best Halloween player name pun? So I don't know whether you prepare these in advance or you're going to think of one off the fly really, really quickly. Ooh, Halloween pun! I'll go with mine first. I'm going for uh, Timu Spooky.
2: I'm going to go with Kalidu Guglibari.
0: Ah, oh. the one that is so
1: bad. But the one that comes to my head is like Oliver, Goul- Olivia, Ghoul. Olivia Giroud. Oh, that. J- J- that. That doesn't work. But yeah, That's I can't
0: really. I'd I call that one tenuous, but yeah. I think George is probably the best one. So Yeah, I'm not You're, very good at Thank it. you, Champions
2: yeah. League official football Twitter.
0: <laughs> Unfortunately, we don't have any special prizes here. So, uh, first on tonight's show, we're going to, as always, look at the last week's Premier League results. I think probably the biggest game, in terms of the teams involved, was Liverpool versus Tottenham. So, obviously, the game finished uh, 2-1 to Liverpool, coming back from a goal uh, down... Tottenham's goal, I believe, came after forty-seven seconds or something. Do you guys think that perhaps Tottenham scored too early? If you sort of get what I mean?
1: Um, I no, I thought it was quite impressive that they, for the run of form they've had this season and how we were talking last week, and since the show has started, that they've just been really poor. The fact that they literally they got off the like off the mark against the best team in the league and scored under a minute, to me, impressed me quite a bit because I thought. Oh, they they come up the gates. They're going really hard, but then obviously we know what happened. They went back to Spurs and then lost two one.
0: Yeah, I think what I, was, what I was sort of trying to uh, suggest with that was the fact that obviously Pochettino were coming to the game with a plan of how to play the game, and obviously once you go one 0 up, your plan would have to change. So do you think that maybe he didn't ha- they didn't have chance to maybe get a foothold in the game before they were sort of pushed into having to have one?
1: Um. I'm not so sure because, like, I don't know what type of game plan it would have, like, been negative against if, like, going one 0 up away at Anfield, which is very hard to just win. Let alone like to win, and I just feel like it, it would have worked in their favour. Like, it depends if they were playing defensive. It all they would have had to do then after that was just sit back because like, they won one got up. They could have just literally sat back for 89 minutes. But obviously, I'm not as tactically. Good as Maurizio Pozzatino. So, um, and I'm not sure what game playing would have, but I, 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 yeah, it could have affected them a bit, but personally, I think a goal at the beginning would have benefited them.
0: Yeah, obviously, Jules, you've been to Anfield before. Do you think that maybe that sort of riled the crowd up a bit, and maybe they got at Spurs more than perhaps they would have done if the game stayed at 0 0?
2: Definitely, I don't think that crowd is, is used to trailing at Anfield. Much, um, but looking at the stats, I think I think they speak for themselves. I think we completely dominate Spurs, twenty-one shots to their eleven, seventy percent possession to their thirty. I think if if Tottenham had come out of their game with any sort of um, with any any points, I think that would have been an injustice to the way Liverpool played.
0: Yeah, obviously you said there that you thought Liverpool sort of dominated the game, but obviously there was that Son chance where he rounded the keeper and hit the bar. If that chance went in, then perhaps it could have been a completely different game, and maybe anything we're saying here may not have applied.
2: That's true, but it, it's the it's the classic cliche. If you don't if you don't take your chances, you don't score the goals. I know that sounds very Michael Owen esque, but it, it's true. Like it, it doesn't matter in 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 at the end of the game when when the scoreline is what it is.
0: Yeah. So one of the things I've, I watched the game. One thing I picked out was it maybe was possibly the worst Van Dyke performance I've watched for a while, at least because uh, obviously I think he was maybe at fault for the first goal. Obviously not tracking Harry Kane, who obviously came in into uh, poke the ball and went it come back off the bar. Do you think this season he may have not be as imperious as he was last season?
2: I, w- I would disagree with 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 the idea that the Van Dyke was at fault for the goal. I think. Henderson loses possession in midfield, so he's probably primarily to blame for that. Lovren could do a little bit better with, um, you know, making himself a bit bigger because um, it's obviously his block that makes it come off the crossbar. But I, 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 st- I, th- I still think Van Dijk is playing at a very, as a very high level. The lack of clean sheets is concerning. We, we haven't kept a clean sheet in October, but I think Al- Allison being out. Has had a lot to do with that because he's so pivotal to the way that the Liverpool defense plays. I think there's definite room for improvement, and I think with time, that back five playing consistently in the Premier League, I think I think the clean sheets will come and the Van Dijk performances will get significantly better.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Obviously, I wasn't saying that he's been he's not been bad by any stretch of the imagination, but obviously the bar was so high for him last season. Of course. Anything slightly yeah. below that does seem a bit out of the ordinary.
1: I think that's what kind of the British media... Well, just any media, but I notice a lot with Britain is that we build these players up to be, like, godlike or unstoppable and then they make one mistake and we're like, oh, they're over, that's it, they're done. They're, they're not
2: as good as they were. And you're the just same like, argument can be made for Britain's politicians.
1: <laughs> it, is, it, it is that thing, though. It's like, it's obviously not the Messi-Ronaldo bit, but it's always like with Messi, like, he has a bad performance for Argentina, everyone goes, oh, he's not good, he's not good. I think it's, it's starting to come the same with Van Dyke because people, when... Last season, his comparisons made that is he one of the best centre backs in the Premier League history, and then people are going like, he only had one good season, and they, it was like people trying to find faults. So I feel like, I feel like sometimes, like you said, we set the bar so high that he he's not allowed like one mistake in like thirty games.
0: Uh, yeah, so at the other end of the pitch, one of the main, uh, I guess, positives for Liverpool was the way that they sort of faced the Spurs defence and the amount of, obviously, she said, was it 23 shots? 21 said the, shots. 21 shots. And obviously, Trent had that incredible uh, shot from out of the box that was incredibly well saved by Gazzaniga, I believe, who was in goal for Tottenham. Do you think that maybe this, that shows how... Well, this Liverpool team can go forward against what we'd consider to be fairly good defenders. So, I was just wondering whether you think that anyone maybe has a chance of actually beating Liverpool.
2: I mean, it's the um, it's the team that's currently in second that I think a lot of people are very fearful of. I'm not I know they're not in a great position at the moment, given the amount of injuries that have to key players. But for me, the 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 total hopes this season rest in the head to head between Manchester City. I think. If we can beat them at home and possibly get a draw away, that's going to be pivotal. It's going to put such such good confidence in the team as well. I, I, I know it seem it seems like the side is is unstoppable at the moment, but I think we've had we've had wake up calls, um, especially with the last honest result against Arsenal, barely scraping by. Uh, the Napoli game of the Champions League, obviously, it kind of brings the team. You know, back to earth to to make them realise that you, you know you can lose football games; it does happen. So, uh, y- yes, this Liverpool team is unbeatable, but uh, yes, this team, Liverpool team is beatable. Rather, but um, um, I think I think we're a, we're a, what's the phrase? We're, st- we're, steam- we're steamrolling at the moment. I think I think it's, re- it's very difficult to beat this Liverpool side given how good they are.
0: Yeah, so obviously, speaking of um, teams that obviously uh, never lose, Arsenal. Sorry, that was a subtle dig there Can't resist a Chelsea fan or whatever Uh, So, obviously they played Crystal Palace last weekend in the Premier League And they drew 2-0 after going 2-0 up, I think Yeah Yeah, so, obviously that's a pretty damning indictment of where they are at the moment And on my notes here, I've just got the question Why are Arsenal so mentally weak? Which I think, I could probably find a more eloquent way of putting that But it is basically the... I think that hits
1: it perfectly, like the nail on the head I mean, just... I don't know. There's something about this Arsenal team. It's been... This has, like, gone through two managers now. And it's gone over, like, years and years and years that this is a problem which... We've seen this... This is very Arsenal of them. I it's a phrase I'm just going to coin because they will go up and then let... Uh, uh, they're like, in quite a 2-0 a a big a two nil, uh, advantage at home and they'll just let two goals in. Um... But it's I don't know, so maybe it's like something and they don't have a proper leader in the sense that like they've always uh, like always wanted like try to find a Vieira replacement essentially and they haven't really. I think Cashalni was good, but or maybe there's something just within the the uh dress uh the backroom staff, maybe there's something not right there, the coach maybe's not got uh, a full handle, or there's something in players like there's not chemistry there, but I don't know, maybe maybe it's just become like They've got themselves into a bit of a dogma. They just—they're so stuck in that they can't get over it. That,
0: yeah, I guess sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy yeah. sort of thing. So, like when maybe things something goes against them, perhaps they sort of crumble at that point. And I think that's what maybe we is manifested in them. Because obviously, like from an outside perspective, you could see it as like their heads going down and them not trying hard enough. But obviously, as their professional footballers, I can't imagine that they would be like. It's not a physical thing, is it? It's clearly some kind of mental block they have yeah. to do with not being able to recover from being like setbacks.
1: It could be like a big cultural thing in the club. Um, I guess it was going to link onto the Jack point we talked about, but like it, maybe something just the culture of the club and the fans, and there's so much pressure on this Arsenal team to be as good as it once was, and they never quite get in there, and it always seems to be going something wrong, like there's injuries. The un- underperformance; they're not signing players they should be. Like, there's always just something going wrong for that club. They're always at the top, but they're not at the, the pinnacle. Whether that's what they want to be.
0: Yeah, definitely. So obviously, you ju- were just talking about a leadership in the Arsenal squad and their current club captain. Well, one of five captains, is it? I think that's one so of the problems. Yeah, their their main captain, uh, Granit Xhaka, was obviously. Uh, main talking point from this game as he was subbed off and as he was walking off the pitch, the fans were booing him. I believe was it su- were they sarcastically applauding him or booing him?
1: I think the the sub the um I think from what I remember now if I remember from the article I read earlier was that uh when they announced he was going to get uh, his number and obviously the substitution, everyone like he said like, clapped and was like, eh, oh, like right, trying yeah. to get him, like like they were happy. And then I think when he kind of did some stuff back, they all booed him off.
0: Yeah, so obviously as he's leaving the pitch, he um. I believe cupped his ear to the fans, and then yeah, and m- he they mouthed some uh, profanity, yeah. shall we say, and then took his shirt off and had it straight on the tunnel. Instead of, I
1: think some of the armband as well, didn't he? Oh, threw, yeah. the, the yeah. armband. Yeah.
0: Well, he threw it like down for a
2: to pick up. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. So obviously that's not a good representation of the club from Jaka. Uh, but so, uh, Jules, what? Where do you think? He can go from here to sort of maybe re-ingratiate himself amongst the Arsenal fan base.
2: Well, interestingly, um, the, the, um, the uh, Arsenal have just
0: released the statement. The game was when? Sat- Saturday? Was it Sunday? Wait, is this the first of a breaking news on Golden Island? I think I think,
2: I think it might be. We're it, moving it, up in the of boys. It, 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 was, it was my dad who sent me a WhatsApp message saying, oh, <laughs> the Xhaka uh, statement's finally been released. You should have said one of our sources, <laughs> <laughs> not named them. <laughs> one of our sources. <laughs> <It> was, was, <laughs> So um Jacques's justification was that people have said things like, We will break your legs, kill your wife, wish that your daughter against cancer, horrible things obviously. Uh this has stirred him up and um um things finally reached a boiling point when the fans were jeering were him off and that's what caused him to react like that. For me it's not it's not completely his fault because um, for me, the captain has to be one of the solidified players in your squad. I think of so many club captains in the Premier League, most of them very easily are one of the better players on the pitch and they're going to be starting more often than not. But with Granit Xhaka, f- f- for me, I, l- I look at him and I, I, don't, I don't see what he's contributing that another Arsenal player can't contribute. He's got a wonderful left foot, don't be wrong, but... Other, th- other than that, I I'm not. I'm not seeing much from him. Does that does that justify the abuse he's been getting online? No, of course not. But for me, it's it's a combination of of issues. For me, he, he shouldn't be he shouldn't be Arsenal captain in the first place. But before this incident even happened, in our group chat, we like discuss ideas for the show.
1: And one I wanted to bring up is just the Arsenal fan base and how it is where where these are from. Uh, I don't know who sent them. Obviously, they are disgusting. And while what they've sent, Jacker. But the Arsenal, someone made a point that this is why it got me thinking is that the Arsenal fan base just seems quite toxic towards play. Like, uh, like, like the the whole fan TV culture that we now see in the fan pages we see on Twitter and Facebook. That used to just stay on the internet and kind of they got support, but now it kind of seems like it's crossing over into the like the real world and kind of like. You're effect of like kind of like I always thought the Real Madrid fan base were one of the most toxic fan bases in the world because you could like Gareth Bale, you could be amazing for ages and then few things go well on, you're not, you're hated and you can't get him back any side. But I mean, just the way he's being treated by some of the Arsenal fans is just horrible. Like I'm not like I'm not saying he hasn't made problems. Like he has, he's quite hot headed He's he's made mistakes. He's let, but he doesn't deserve this abuse he's getting. Especially as your captain, like you, you shouldn't be booing your captain.
0: Yeah, I think obviously with the um, AF TV thing, it's obviously the primary uh, Arsenal fan channel. Yeah. I believe others others are available, as far as I know. <laughs> and um, obviously, the people on those, the people who get the numbers, like the most views, are the people who maybe I don't want to say. They definitely do. I, I obviously don't know them where they maybe exaggerate what they're, what they're thinking because, like, obviously, if you go on there and say, you know, yeah, we lost, but you know, the sun's going to come up tomorrow, I'm going to go to work, and it's going to be nothing bad's it, going to happen. The world happen. isn't going to end. Yeah, but if I, it's not going to get many views, but me on there ranting about anything is just going to make so much, it's obviously going to make, get the views, and obviously raise the person being interviewed's profile amongst the crowded market that is football fan channels. And I just wonder whether perhaps people who go to the games watching that stuff, does it perhaps embolden them to feel like they can also behave that way at games?
1: I I do kind of think that because I'm, everyone's bound to know an Arsenal fan and they they watch, I know quite a lot of watch them and some obviously think it's a load of rubbish and just that uh, it's all, like you said, exaggeration it's all just a bit of entertainment. But there are some people who really do kind of believe that and follow what they say and it is a bit kind of now it's crossing into the real world, and uh, it just seems a bit kind of like he's a club captain he hasn't come out at his time in arsenal and said anything bad against the club. he's not come out saying like, "I hate the club, I hate the people, this area's horrible he's never he's been a good captain in that sense he's provided a leadership role in the team from what I've heard, and whenever he's on the pitch he's he's a bit more he's a bit more one of the experienced players and to get your own captain who's not really done anything bad, yeah, he's not been playing well and he's done he makes quite a few mistakes. But just the amount of boost he got like I've seen on Twitter and other stuff and but in the game, it just seems it's just it's crossed the line, it just seems it's gone quite far now. And if I was a player and, and Arsenal approached me to sign that to sign me, I don't know if I'd wanna go just because of how toxic the fan base is or how I perceive it to be quite toxic from my own viewpoint.
0: Yeah, definitely, obviously that's a pretty difficult situation. I imagine the fallout of that will continue for quite a while. But with games like this, where obviously uh, what could be considered a less fashionable team uh, gets a wide call, it's, it's, I'd argue it's a good result for Crystal Palace. I think a lot is often made about the shortcomings of the so-called bigger team, but I feel like maybe the Crystal Palace side of it's missed, so I just wanted to sort of talk about that for a second. And because I've always been thinking, cause obviously at the moment they are... Uh, they are sixth in the league, obviously. With uh, they are on uh, fifteen points, so just one point behind Arsenal now. Do, where can do you realistically see them keep up this momentum and perhaps remaining in the top ten?
2: I think a top ten finish is very um, very achievable for for Crystal Palace. Um, it, it, it was it was interesting the game. I think it, it showed the benefits of VAR because. Uh, Zaha gets fouled in the box and initially gets booked for for, for diving and it's only when uh, Martin Atkinson goes to VAR and and realizes that it is a penalty and um, Milivojevic um, how many goals did he score from penalties last season? It's
0: eleven or something.
2: Something, something ridiculous, yeah. Something ridiculous like that. So for, for me, top ten is very very achievable. Bristol Palace n- now that Zaha Zaha who is. S- somewhat accused of of, of diving a lot. Um, now that's completely taken out of the equation, and you really get to see the best of him.
0: Because obviously, with their uh, obviously Roy Hodgson is managing Crystal Palace, and I'm sure that sort of, as we were growing up, we sort of saw him as somewhat of a joke figure.
1: Yeah, he was kind of always seen as a journeyman manager type so, thing.
0: obviously, that obviously culminated in the uh, iconic. Of, well, I don't. Is it iconic? What's what's the other word? Infamous? infamous, yeah, I think yeah. that word. The uh, Iceland-England result, Euro 2016.
1: Oh, I remember that. I probably land up for that. I remember being on a cruise ship and there are massive TVs on the deck, deck, on the de- um, top decks or the upside bays And like, obviously I'm one of, like, my dad's English. I've always grown up supporting England as well. But there was, I was one Welsh person in, like, a sea of English people. And just, it was when they scored, Iceland went ahead, you just heard, a, like, an audible simultaneous just growing and being like, oh, God. God, just it was that kind of like, oh wow, really? Is this happening? Like, there's a place, there's a, a country with the population small and like, Norfolk.
0: Yeah, it's like five, yeah, five, it's about the, about the same size as Cornwall, I believe. Yeah, and you're
1: just like, and then, and then I had one English guy turn to me because you, "You hear Max? And he's like, I think I'm just going to spot Wales from now They just it was that kind of yeah.
0: Yeah, I think so. That gave him sort of a negative, uh, or well, gave me a negative viewpoint about him. But obviously, like really up on the stuff he's done in his career. He's obviously won league titles was in was it Holland, I believe. I think FC Sweden. 20
1: Yeah. Oh, no, was that Steve McLaren. Oh, Steve McLaren, I yeah. I think he won one in um, Sweden, I believe, in yeah. Malmo. He also led Fulham to the Europa League Cup final, when it used to be called, or UEFA Cup final before it was called Europa League. And I think they, I believe, they lost Juventus. Only like 2-1 or something like that.
0: Yeah, I think we are talking about it before we came in for the last show. Yeah. So I think maybe we were too soon to write him off, and maybe he does offer more than he perhaps did at England. So moving on to not the Premier League, to the Championship. Last week we previewed the South Wales derby between Cardiff and Swansea. Uh, the match finished uh, Swansea 1, Cardiff City 0. So, Dan, you're obviously delighted with that result. Yeah, I
1: mean, on two fronts. One, you're beating your biggest rival. That's always you always get the bragging rights. It's always great. And the fact we kept a clean sheet, that was quite handy because Swansea tend have a tendency of, um, falling asleep. I don't know if there's any experience in the team. Cause it's a very young team. Um, Steve, Kruppers, obviously he, he won the under 17 world cup with England, uh, that year they had like Phil Foden in and Jaden Sancho. So he quite likes working with youth players. Um, so keeping a clean sheet there and obviously beating your rivals. It was from... My dad went to the game and it was like a sell-out game. It was packed, Apparently, the atmosphere. It was great. Um, and I was a bit worried because Joe Roden's out for a few months for injury. And we have Ben Wilmot. And I've seen him play in the, Le- the Caribou Cup game against Cambridge where they won 7-0, 8-0, I think it was that, that game. And he played very well, but it's against a League 2 team. Um, but he scored... He kept a clean sheet. He scored the winning... The only goal... Um, Swansea deserved to, I don't want to come to this from a biased perspective, I think Cardiff should have or could have got at least one goal. There was one chance they really should have scored, but they were also on the same side of the coin. There were like three or four shots that Swansea scuppered should have been goals. There was at least two chances which you would you look out from the outrun and be like, they're going to score but they just messed up. Um, so if it was a draw or a loss, I think it would have been unfair in Swansea just because of how much they dominated and controlled the game and tactically were better. It would be great for Cardiff if they got a point away because you're going away to Swansea and you're not as good as they play playing then and you nick a point. But I feel like Swansea, it, was the, it was the right result.
0: Yeah, so looking at the Championship table now, obviously because West Brom and Leeds drew uh, last weekend, uh, Swansea City have now moved up to fourth on 25 points uh, level with Preston and Leeds United and only two points behind legally, just West Brom. Do you think this result may t- sort of provide a platform to build on in order to push for maybe automatic if n- promotion, if not maybe they're just the playoffs?
1: Yeah. Um, they Before this game, I think it was like one win in seven they had, and um, they were not playing well. They were like letting chances go in. So this is almost like when you play a video game, you get double XP because they beat Cardiff. It's like double confidence in my opinion. You've not only just won, you've also just beaten your biggest rival in football. So I'm hoping that when it's Wigan this Saturday they're playing away, I'm hoping that they take, because the problem with Swansea is that they're not letting many goals in um, but when they do it's at the wrong time but they're not also scoring as many as the teams around them, so I'm hoping that this just gives them a bit more confidence up front now to just knock a few past Wigan but then you're going to Wigan and they, I don't know they're not up and down but I just can't predict what the results will be with Wigan I'd like to think Swansea will win but I think it'll be a draw.
0: Yeah, certainly an interesting time to be following the Championship, given how close it is at the top. But uh, up next on our sort of whistle-stop tour of uh, the English football pyramid, if you like. Well, it's not the pyramid, we're going to have the League Cup now. But Liverpool-Arsenal, we had a a man at the game. Obviously, we couldn't afford to send him. He went on his own volition, but how was it, Jules?
2: Uh, It was good. I went uh, with my dad, uh, who is also a Liverpool fan, and uh, an Arsenal fan, who I didn't realise was an Arsenal fan until um, ten minutes into the car journey there. I was just being a nice person, invi- inviting someone along who needed a car, um, a seat in a car on, on Fab and Fresh. But we'll, we'll ignore that. I, I very much enjoyed the uh, the car journey back. But, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a crazy game. Um, uh, I, I got in just, just a minute after kickoff, and right from the get-go it was, like, really high intensity. I mean... I think it was very very clear from the lineup that that Jurgen Klopp wasn't wasn't that fussed about the game. I mean, we were having we were playing a eighteen year old at right back, James Milner at left back, um Joe Gomez who's currently fourth choice centre back and um one of our one of our newer signings but one for the future seventy year old um centre back as well. So um I think it was it was Clear that Klopp wasn't too keen on advancing to the next round, but um, I, don't, I can't even say that w- I'm, I'm glad we are because we might not even even be playing in it.
0: Yeah, obviously that touches on the news that's broken maybe today, I believe, possibly, yeah. perhaps yesterday. Jurgen Klopp's been talking about the fact that because of the fixture congestion and the way that the FA want to structure the games, it would have uh, Liverpool's semi-final. Carabao Cup match scheduled for the same time as when they're due to be in Dubai to play the uh, Club World Cup, at least 18th of December, I think the date is. They want them like one on one and one on the next day, which obviously isn't practical if you want to play a strong team in both. And I'm just wondering, do you think that a team should be able to maybe withdraw from a cup if they have uh, maybe a different thing they've got to go and do, Does that makes sense?
2: I have no idea what, what the procedure is. Is it is it Arsenal that would advance instead? Would Would Aston Villa just get a um, buy, yeah. a bye straight to the semi-finals? I'm, I'm not too sure. In any case, I'm pretty sure we'd involve in Liverpool getting some sort of fine if we decided to forfeit the game.
0: So I suppose it maybe opens a slight can of worms, in a sense, because if you set a precedent with that, where do you draw the line at what you could withdraw for? Say, for, say you had a sponsorship, you had a like a commercial deal where you're going to play, I don't know, Atletico, Madrid and Dubai for some sponsorship reasons, could you withdraw from a cup competition for that? Do you, see, do you see where that could possibly become an issue or do you think the Club World Cup is just the one exception that could possibly be made?
1: I don't know. I think it made. I know the League Cup is the second domestic cup in, Engl- in England after the FA Cup, obviously, but it downplays it even more to the point that it just suddenly becomes like Or, what's the point of even competing in it? Like, I understand that very few teams will compete in the Club World Cup. And I I think I read somewhere a few months ago that they were talking about restructuring from instead of doing it every year, they are going to do it every four years. So maybe that would, like, change it slightly, whether that went through or not. But it does kind of, I agree, it sets maybe a precedent that teams may suddenly just go, if they have another, or what they value is more of a different, a bigger opportunity than a cup game, they could just be like, oh, actually, we'd we'd rather get a fine and don't want to play it.
0: Because like, obviously, with the amount of money in the game, how much could you potentially find something for it to have an actual financial impact? You're talking like fifty million pounds, maybe. Well, that would be a fine that would actually impact them. Yeah. Like anything below that, it's sort of you, it's it would be an inconvenience, but you'd probably if they were doing if a sponsorship reasons or whatever, they'd definitely make somewhat, if not all, of that money back.
1: Yeah, if there was, like points deduction or like a big big fine like in the millions. Then, I don't. Mo- I, mo- I think a team beside Liverpool would rather take the fine because
0: obviously you could say, oh, if you do that, you'll be expelled from Nexus competition." But they're probably, they're probably even better for that. Yeah. that's not even a punishment. So obviously, but going back to the on the pitch stuff, obviously finished five five. The only game that I remember finishing five five was the Sir Alex Ferguson's last game in charge of United. The one with West Brom. Yeah, I think Lukaku's got a hatch off the bench. But, so, Jules, what was it like being at a game that finished 5-5? Did you, did you, did you lose count of the goals at any point?
2: It was a topsy-heavy game. I think the score at half-time was 3-2, and even then I was thinking, wow, I've I've got my, my money's worth for my £33 ticket. But, um, no, I, I, I was convinced that it was all over um, uh, at the 90th minute when, when they were 5-4 up, but, you know, when Devo is on the pitch... You know, anything anything can happen. And especially when it's Liverpool at Anfield because it's a special atmosphere.
0: Yeah, I was going to come on to the atmosphere because obviously a lot was made about, as Danny said, the EFL Cup being maybe the lesser of the two domestic cups in England. And I think that's sometimes reflected by the attendance at stadiums. So obviously, uh, uh, I think Manchester City have a few problems filling the stadium for games like that. But obviously, as you said, Anfield don't, I'd assume.
2: No, it was um, it was sold out. I think ninety five percent of the the seats would have been would have been full. Around me, there were there were one or two seats that were vacated, but other than that, it was you you would have thought it was a Premier League game. The way the way the chants were going, um, the way the, the crowd was lifted um, when some of those goals went in, and wow, some of those goals that went in were, they deserved a cheer.
0: Yeah, definitely. Obviously, one of the highlights for me was personally seeing the uh, Ozil assist when he like just. They rounded the keeper and then took the ball a bit too far. And he thought it was going out, and he managed to like sort of chop is it back. Croif- someone
1: I think phrased it as a Cruyff turn assist.
0: Yeah, so but um, Martinelli I think put the ball yeah. in the back of the net. Do you think this could be a perhaps a platform for Urzil to build on to maybe work try and work his way back into the Arsenal squad?
1: I'm um, I have no idea. I mean, with Urzil he's such he's like an enigma wrapped in a mystery in that Arsenal team. He is by far probably one of the most talented players in that team. Just on pure skill, and we've seen how good he can be, but then at he's just not getting played, and for some reasons because I've heard about boards want him gone, so they don't want to, pay, they just don't want to play, and they want him to hand in stuff. I've heard rumours that he's not going with Emery. It's just it always seems to be rumours flying about, and. No one knows the exact reason why he's
2: not playing. It was... The, the Ozil situation, yes, it was really, really interesting. Obviously, because of camera angles, you wouldn't have seen everything. But when the We've Got Ozil chance started, it was very, very clear that fans were pointing at Unai Emery and saying, look at Meza Ozil, look how good he is. He should be playing. And despite that, he then substitutes him off at, what, the 65th, 70th minute? And I don't know what excuse is going to is going to come out for that if if it's if it's his being rested for the next game. Yeah. I'm, sure, I'm <laughs> sure loads of Arsenal fans will be very pleased with that. But it will be like the next game in like six games time.
0: I I <laughs> did to him. I did to be fair here uh, today I was listening to a podcast and they were saying that Unai has said that Urza is cont- in contention in contention to be involved against Wolves at the weekend. So how,
2: how much does that really mean that in, everyone is in contention? To, yeah.
0: to start a game. I feel yes. like. Is, it,
2: is a very non-committal answer. I'll give you that. I don't. I don't even know
1: if Unai Emery knows what team he's going to pick. Just, I feel like every week he just kind of goes, "Oh, we'll have this person
2: left Dark, back dot, now." Darts on faces yeah. on a board.
1: <laughs> and he's just in like the pose. He's like, "Watch this," and then just, "Oh, we'll have Abayemi Ab- Abam- Abam- in centre midfield." Like you don't. I just feel like like not to take away from his achievements that he's done in his previous appointments, but I don't know whether I I just can't figure out what he's trying to do with his and a lot of the club because. I know Uzil. he likes a pressing game, and Uzil doesn't fit that thing We've I've kind of brought it up before. But then when you've got someone that skillful, that talented, you just you need to play him, unless there's something massive has happened. But, I mean, just like he's so good, as we saw against Liverpool, you, I just feel like it's so... Like, that
2: could be what's hindering them sometimes in... The league games that you just don't have that unique creativity. Do you think it's too harsh to say that Unai Emery is a Europa League manager? I mean, not to discredit his his um, efforts at Sevilla. Obviously, three Europa leagues in a row is 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 not like not to be laughed at. But at PSG reading stories about how he was just laughed out of the dressing room and he just completely lost the respect of the players. And the fact that it's taken Frank Lampard only a few weeks to implement his style of play at Chelsea, despite not being able to sign new players. Emery's been there for longer than a year now and still probably doesn't know his strongest well, looking at his appointments on the pitch he doesn't look like he knows his strongest level and I I don't think it's too harsh to say that I don't think he has any business managing managing a top club The more and more time goes on I'm kind of starting to go towards that opinion
0: Yeah, I think he may be somewhat out of his depth at Arsenal I think the fans are, obviously, you were talking about the Ozil thing, and they were chanting, obviously, at him to start Ozil. You sort of start to see where the fans' allegiances may lie, and I think that perhaps the situation, if the results don't improve, could become untenable quite quickly.
1: Kind of just talking about Arsenal, it's weird how they go from loving one player and literally point at their manager, we want him, we want him, and then the next player, they boo him off a bit, it
2: just football fans when they're losing. I yeah. Go, going back to that point about about fan TV. I mean I th- I think th- the people that upload those videos are very very smart about it because think about it you've just driven 5 6 hours to to watch your team lose when you're interviewed and you are told to th- say words about the game immediately after. You're not going to be at your most rational. So I think I think I think it, it's harsh to say that, to to paint all fan channels with the with the same brush as they do interviews after games yeah. but yeah it doesn't exactly shine the the best light on on the fans
0: yeah so obviously you were talking about the uh confusing uh team selection from Unai Emery i think well, one namely something that's a bit more confusing how on earth did Marcus Rashford strike that ball to make it travel <laughs> the way it did i've honestly i've i've seen it so many times this morning last night as well and from the angle from behind, it just looks so much like it's going to where Caviero could just pick it out of the air and just suddenly dips at the last second and ends up like nestled right in the top corner. And I think he'll be trying to recreate that for the rest of his career, and I don't think he'll be able to do it. No, he's no. never going to do
1: that. I one. feel like if Einstein and Nifty were alive, they wouldn't even be able to figure that out. It just it defied the laws of physics and what should. It just seemed like it just. All right, the ball can move once or twice in the air, but it moved three times and it dipped, it swerved, it. Like, went left to right, and then up, and it went up a bit in the back. And it was just really like,
2: it was, you're watching you're like, this seems like it's like a video game. For me, it was like Cristiano Ronaldo esque. when was, he, he was at Manchester United.
0: I was going to bring that up because it was also the one, he, I think the one that people were referring to is the one he's against Portsmouth. And I watched mm-hmm. that one this morning, and I think the rational one is actually better. Yeah. I think there's more movement on the ball because obviously Caballero, Caballero is an incredibly good goalkeeper and very experienced as well. And I just, he just did not see that coming. I,
1: it, think, I don't think anyone could, to be honest. It did just seem like he might as well just stood there and just gone, yeah, just have a shot because there was no he could have done as much as he, but there was no way you are going to get that unless if he saved that. I would say he should win Ballon d'Or, put him up for that Golden Glove for the next World Cup, even if he doesn't play, just because that's how good of a save it would have had to be just to stop that ball because it was also just the speed of the ball. It was just when it, it was like a bullet. It Just once he hit it, it was like the only thing. I suppose it didn't break the net.
0: Yeah, definitely capped off a fantastic performance by Marcus Rashford. But on the other side of the pitch, with Chelsea's sort of front line, if you will, I, I watched the game and I didn't I wasn't particularly impressed by them. Obviously Batshuayi scored an incredible uh solo goal, but I think the goal that he scored was perhaps indicative of Chelsea's problem. I just felt he was far too isolated up front and just he just wasn't getting enough service provided by Chelsea's two wingers who I would believe were Hudson O'Doy on one side who was kept incredibly quiet by the young uh, Arsenal, a young Man United left-back whose name completely escapes me. Uh, yeah,
1: another one on, but, but I can't remember either. Yeah, I
0: can't remember. He's, he's it's a, definitely an academy prospect, but he Brandon Williams is his name. Awesome. And he, I thought he had a very good game. I think Chelsea's other wing was Pulisic, who also, obviously, he's, he even came off the back of scoring a hat-trick at, uh, where was it last weekend? Burnley. Burnley last weekend, and I... I just don't see how he... Well, he didn't continue that form into this game, certainly. Obviously, they brought on uh, some bigger players, Mount and Abraham, towards the end, and they just couldn't affect the game enough. And I thought it was unfortunate for Chelsea that they lost that game, given the fact that it's probably their best chance at silverware this season, I'd argue. It's like the only other thing I could see is perhaps that they ended up dropping out of the Champions League into the Europa League. But I feel like playing on Thursdays again for a second year running is perhaps something I'd rather not have to watch personally.
1: Do you think they wouldn't even have a chance at the FA Cup?
0: I think that bigger teams take the FA Cup more seriously because I think it's a uh, more. Uh, I think it's the third time we come round to it. It is probably the more prestigious competition historic, in terms of. Like, trophy, yeah, obviously it? it's been around for, and this is the sixty-something year of the League Cup, but the FA Cup's yeah. been around for hundreds of, you, at least a hundred years.
1: I mean, when you talk about Basho, are you? I feel. I feel for the bloke. Because I just feel like he's such a talent. Like you look at his goals. I think goals per minute record for Belgium and for Arsenal. They're no, for Chelsea. They're like really good, but he doesn't seem to start. And it's just like you think. I thought when Costa was leaving, right, he will start, and then he didn't. They brought in uh, sorry, brought in Higuain and played Rude, and we were like, and I was like, well, you've got Bashari, who's arguably the better scorer out of them two, and then you go to then you go to Lampard and. Then he brings A Pam. And the reason I would say Bashoi is a better scorer I just mean like Higuain was on a bad run of form. Giroud, I've always been a big fan of him but he just seems really inconsistent. You have games where you can score four goals in five games then go the next eight games without scoring.
0: I think the thing about Giroud was useful for Sari in the sense that he provides a lot more than just what a regular striker would. Obviously like he's like a good target man can bring the ball down brings other people into play because obviously he watched the 2018 World Cup for France, he didn't get on the score sheet, but he was instrumental to Didier Deschamps' side as they won the trophy. And I just feel that perhaps Sarri saw something in Giroud that made him think that he might be a better option to Bacuay. And obviously this season we've got Tammy Abraham's comeback, and I think it's sort of a do-or-die season for him, if you get what I mean. Because obviously yeah. if, he's out of the, if he's out of the team again and not starting, he may start to think maybe Chelsea isn't perhaps the place to be.
1: I think also because Lampard is a young English manager, maybe he wants to play more young English players, just as you probably naturally would, like if you're in Spain and you're, you're a Spanish manager, you're probably going to play, I feel like, and he's an academy product, so maybe he kind of has this more of this, I don't know, he's a Chelsea legend, he's kind of, he probably wants the club to be doing well, so by doing that, making the academy players... But like, so
0: sort of Guardiola-esque kind yeah, of thing where like, like ex-player ex comes back and brings through a whole new crop of yeah. exciting and talent. maybe he's probably
1: thinking like he rates probably Abraham more in his system than Bashawai, and it's shown that Abraham's been really good um, but he could just be thinking well I should be playing him rather because he's younger I've got more chance of him moulding him now than Bashawai, who's a bit older but they spent so much money on him and they just never he's never really nailed down a place when he went to was it Dortmund or yeah, he was, at,
0: he was at Dortmund on loan. Yeah. he was at Crystal Palace on loan. Valencia as well. Valencia, yeah. And I
1: think some of the teams he had like such a good goal scoring record just per minute. because he has that same problem there, just I just don't know why he can't seem to nail down a place Because his goals per minute just which is the one thing I would go off because it just it's he doesn't get enough time to play like if you said Oh you only scored eight goals last year but then you played like twenty games without at the same time, he may have only played like ten minutes in most of them games.
0: So. Yeah, it's definitely a case of too many strikers, yeah. not enough time to play them all. So obviously, I think that will just do it for our sort of look back. I think now we're going to start looking forwards. So this weekend's Premier League action, one of the more exciting games I feel is uh, the Everton Tottenham match, which I believe is on Sunday. I think. Um. So with this yeah. match, it's an uh, interesting one as both teams have been in fairly poor form. Obviously, Everton won midweek uh, the League Cup. However, last weekend they did lose 3-2 to Brighton, conceding a last-minute goal. Jules, do you think that that will have a negative impact on them going into this match? Who for... um, Everton. For Everton. Yeah.
2: Um, It's an interesting one. Um, They obviously spent a lot of money in the transfer window um, over the summer. Um, Didn't get that man with Zaha, but um, um, brought in a a similarly good alternative with with Alex Zawobi. Um... I think I think I think the the uh, kind of go sale to um, to PSG has has had a ne- negative influence on them, and I think I think like you said, poor, poor mentality um, in the Bryan game is probably what what lost them there with the um, was it Luca Dean who scored the young goal in the end. Uh, yeah, I think it yeah, was. I say yeah, um, yeah. I think I think it'll it'll be a test for them, but similarly, Spurs being in a a poor run of form as well. It is it is an opportunity to try and get something out of the game, and then you know try and start building some momentum so that they can you know solidify their place uh, in between sixth, uh, in between seventh and tenth, which is probably their level.
0: Yeah. So bring it back to the uh, Tottenham Liverpool game, Danny. Did you see anything from that Tottenham performance that would think would make you think that they're perhaps turning a corner and maybe steering out of this um, negative sort of run of the form they've been on?
1: I have no idea. I mean. This just when we just looking at the notes, I just I I honestly couldn't pick between who would win in this game, just because they're both in the same level of right. They've won some games, but they've also been really poor. I know Everton have been worse, but they seem to be on a little bit better run than Tottenham.
0: I think uh, currently uh, Everton have lost four out of the last five Premier League games.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and it just I don't know. I think Tottenham just if I was going to say one, it would be probably Tottenham. And I think that early goal in my mind shows that they are. Attacking, well, I, d- I don't really know. I can't really pick between them because I think they're both playing so bad that I. You, if anyone, if one, if you said like Everton and Jules said Tottenham, I'd be like, that's that, like, because they're both just, I think, they're both in, they're stuck in like, you know, quicksand. They're both, yeah. they both are struggling to get out, but it's ironically, it's probably making them, like, I just feel like there's something wrong with bad runner form, manager, something, but yeah, they're both just not doing well. I, I'd like to see whoever wins uh, in that game, I'd like to see how they go on. Because I think that whoever wins this could get quite a big confidence boost.
0: Yeah, I think one of the main points for me thinking about this game in terms of who I think will win is perhaps that Tottenham have more difference makers in their score, if that makes sense. yeah. I think Harry Kane is obviously a what I'd consider a player who can take a game by the scruff of the neck and maybe get a goal that could bring about a result. Whereas with Ars- with Everton, sorry, I see a lot of players who aren't consistently performing. Obviously, Richarlison, uh, the guy they signed from Arsenal, whose name escapes uh, me. Right Iwobi. Now. Uh, Alex Awoyibi and
1: Moise Keane from Juventus. They haven't. It's, that's, really yeah, it's,
0: been, it's been a bit weird, but they paid twenty-eight million or something for him in the summer. Twenty-eight million. Yeah. He was on the
1: last year's contract, and I mean, the same with the and Moise Keane, They haven't really been. He hasn't really been playing them from the from the start, and yeah, it's a bit. I think they yeah. sort
0: of need to maybe get into the team in order to try and get some get themselves into some form. Yeah. But obviously, I think once I, I, obviously seeing Moise Keane at uh, Juventus last year did quite well coming into the team when they had some injury problems. I think if he can capture some of that form and maybe translate it into the Premier League, he could provide the goals they need to perhaps get themselves out of their slump. So obviously, moving on from that game, I think we'll have a brief interlude in the um, preview to. Hop across to uh, Jules' fantasy football segment in the corner over there. How was how it over there, Jules?
2: Yippee. Uh, so, looking at Lalana's in pyjamas, which, for those of you who don't know, is my teammate. Uh We got 66 points uh, last weekend, which is very good when you consider the average was 49. Um, my top player was big old Jamie Vardy with 20 points after getting me three goals and an assist. I know we haven't covered the Leicester game, but... Um that was that was that was a madness. Um especially with um James Madison and Ben Chill were getting on the score sheet as well. Um so I said that the player to get rid of was Son last week and I stand by the decision, even though he did hit the bar against Liverpool, he did not end up scoring, and my point in if you had Son to bring back in De Bruyne was justified as well because um I was quite annoyed at this because I thought that he did score a goal, but it went down as an assist in the end. Because I don't think David Silva did end up getting a touch, but yeah, never mind, we'll ignore that. Um, I said that the ones to watch um, were Danny Ings and Callum Hudson-Odoi. And I'll put my hands up here, I don't think those were the best choices. Uh, Danny Ings, we, uh, we all know what happened with Southampton Um <laughs> <last> <laughs> At week. least he's not defended hasn't lost points. Exactly, but I believe he did get substituted off for 45 <laughs> minutes. So, <laughs> so he didn't really have, a, have a, a lot of options to score there. Uh, and the other was uh, calipunsen Adoy, uh, who I don't believe started for Chelsea against Burnley. Uh,
0: right? I, I don't think he did, no.
2: No, so similarly, um, not really much opportunity to score there. But uh, the fact that he's in the team and the fact that he did play um, against Manchester United midweek, uh, I still think he's a really good option. Um, for that price tag um, if you're looking to move on like one of your Norwich assets for example uh, my captain was um, De Bruyne but I told everyone to to pick Sterling in the end um, I, I do wish I'd gone for Sterling in the end because he ended up getting 11 points um, and similarly um, he's going to be my captain um, this weekend because they have uh, Southampton <laughs> at, um, at home so I think there's another good opportunity to um, be getting some points there Um, the ones to get rid of I've gone with uh, Nicolas Otamendi and Joel Matip Uh, I think they're quite they're quite similar obviously both centre-backs playing for the top two sides Um, similar price tags at 5.5 but unfortunately um, Otamendi seems to have been displaced by John Stones' return and um, Fernandinho seems to be the preferred option even though he isn't a centre-back but we'll ignore that and uh, unfortunately for Joel Matip, uh, he looks like he's had an injury and will be out uh, until at least after the next international break. So if you've got either of those players, it might be time to um, shift them out. Um, the ones to watch, I've put um, Marcus Rashford and Anthony Martial. Um, I think Manchester United have got good fixtures coming up and uh, they have the opportunity to start hitting a good enough a form um without um you know the difficulties of having to play a top six side here and there so they can just focus on um and goals and obviously with the int- the reintroduction of Anthony Martial it puts a little bit less pressure on Rashford f- to be scoring all the goals so i think um manchester united's forward line will will throw dan james in there as well uh will be one's to watch um for goals and assists
0: yeah i just want to give myself a shout out no. Bit, bit, bit arrogant, I know, but last week on the show, for my one to watch, I got very confused about what week we were on and said that Nathan Ake should be transferred in because Bournemouth have, uh, not, have Manchester United, which I thought was last weekend, it's had it like this weekend. Yeah. However, he did play last weekend, got himself a clean sheet, played the full 90, got himself eight points, so that's quite good advice, despite the fact I did get it horribly wrong.
1: Nostra, tra- Nostra trauma, Sylvia.
0: I know, so this week I'd. Maybe keep, keep back here, and I reckon he'll buy a goal this weekend.
1: When when you were talking about uh, Danny Ings and just Salampton, so if there's ever a phrase, kick and dog, when it's down, it's just it's that it suits that team so much. 9-0, 3-1, and they've got City again in the league. I mean... They scored a goal against Man City. That's improving, right? Yeah, but I mean, the fans must have been crying once they I mean,
0: when... We've got
1: another week of this. And just... Like,
0: if I'd say if you offered three one against Man City to Southampton before that match, they would have bitten your hand off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that well, that's that's what I class as a good result for them.
1: I think the league's going to be so much worse though, because City are like, right, let's go full ge- full like gears now. Top two, be
2: Aguero and Jesu started against um, against Southampton. I I, I,
1: I really um, want to win it. I am worried for Southampton. Yeah, it definitely looks but, like yeah. they
0: could be on the way down. I feel
1: sorry for Ralph. Hassan...
0: Hassel? Hassan Hassel- Yeah, definitely, because obviously after the He's game... He's a good manager. Yeah, because after the game, he came out and said, oh, I I take full responsibility for this. I mean, he he definitely shouldn't have. Like, It, it yeah. was 100% his players like, that...
1: Bertrand kicked a player, or like went yeah. two feet in and so got yeah, sent I mean, off in the 10 minutes.
0: Champions League winner, Brian yeah. Bertrand.
2: Did you see that um, the players gave their wages for the day to... The
0: the Southam- Saints Foundation, to the the Saints, the Saints Foundation, yeah. yeah. Good. That's, that's good. Yeah, I'd like to give them credit for that. That's a... Yeah. classy thing to do after. Classic what Olympos. I imagine was a pretty difficult defeat to get over. So for the last segment of this show, I thought we'd take a look at one final game and look at Graham Potter's Brighton, obviously coming off the week of the win last week that I mentioned over Everton, coming off against Norwich who have been in terrible form as their last win came against Manchester City in September. So Danny obviously as a Swansea fan you saw Graham Potter managing your team last year. How much do you see of the things that he did last year with Swansea? How they translated into the Premier League with Brighton?
1: I see he does a lot of rotations, which he did with Swansea, but I think Brighton seemed not have the same problem of... Um, I guess a lot of his tinkering find the best team, but so I think Brighton, when I was looking at their team, when he when he signed for them, they didn't have a lot of depth, which was a similar problem that Swansea had. So he's quite good at team management, and yet when you take a player out and he puts a different in, they still seem to perform at the same level, which is really good for any Team you're sporting, like even if that player is not as good as the one side. He's brings a lot of youngsters through that Connolly guy who scored two goals against Tottenham. Like I I guarantee you if Chris like Hooton was there, that got that player wouldn't have come through. There's about I the reason Dan James is where he is now is because of Graham Potter oh, And it. the reason Oli Bernie is as way is is because of Graham Potter
0: yeah, one of the things I was interested in, so I was looking at the stats as I was preparing the running order for tonight, and I was looking at the table and saw that in the bottom half of the league, uh, Brighton have conceded the second lowest amount of goals. I think it's like one more than the top one. So they've only conceded 14 goals this season. Did you see Swansea's defence improve as a result of Grandpa yeah. coming in? I
1: mean, like, the Championship's a longer campaign, so even though we, I think, let in 50-something goals... It's
0: obviously 42 games, oh, yeah.
1: so, yeah. Um, or was it 40-something goals? But like, we scored about the same amount. It was our defence, like, we, there were games where we were shambolic, but sometimes it did seem like, even though you felt like, oh, wait, we haven't got a good defence, we would somehow get a clean sheet or maybe limit the amount of goals to one or two. There were very few games I like, remember last season where it was over two goals, three goals. Um, so he, he is really, he's a great ta- like tactical man, and a tactician. Like, I'm not surpri- surprised if either one day he ends up in England, an England job or one of the big clubs, because... The, fu- the football he played at Swansea, like, doing wrong, I love Steve Cooper and he's a great manager, but sometimes the football we played under Steve uh, 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 Cooper, uh, no, Graham Potter it was amazing to watch. Like, against City, we, like, I only caught bits of the games in the quarterfinal of the League Cup last year, but I had friends who went to that game and I had friends who watched it and said, we should have won. Like, at home, we apparently dominated them. Mm. And that was just the way he played, the way he outsmarted kind of pepped Guardiola in some ways. And the only reason, apparently, City went through was VAR wasn't used, and it was a decision that went against Swansea, and City got that goal and they went through.
0: So just finally looking at the Norwich team for literally a very brief second. Obviously, we've seen that Pookie hasn't been scoring a lot. And as our resident fantasy football expert, do you think that it's a dip in form, or do you think he may have just defenders may have figured him out?
2: I don't necessarily think it's a, a dip in form because, um, from from what I know about Finland, he's essentially been been carrying them. Um, many, if they get through to the Euros, it's because of him. But es- essentially, yeah, um, yeah. I think I think the the, the bigger issue is um, the, the the Norwich defence. I think if you're conceding tons and tons of goals, which which they are, it's gonna it's gonna put a downer on the entire team, and like the midfield are gonna struggle to. To, to get the ball to, to the forwards to to score goals. Again, very Michael Owen-esque, but you, you know what I mean.
0: Yeah, definitely. So I think that just about does it for us this week. Obviously, we'll be back again next week. So it's uh, goodbye from Danny. Thank you for listening. It's goodbye from Jules. It's been me. And it's goodbye from me. Thank you for listening to Goals Aloud. Just remember, you can find us on all good podcast platforms now. Just search Goals Aloud. You can listen, download there. So, yeah, thank you for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> It goes ALOUD!